Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals bringing patients relief at last. Spinal stimulation is an implantable device consisting of two tiny wires connected to a battery that are placed alongside the spine. These wires emit a tiny electronic signal that blocks the pain signal that travels on nerves. Advanced Pain Care, 512-244-4272 or online, austinpaindoctor.com. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. It is 8.05 here on the Todd and Oz Show. And you can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. We got updates on uh, the southern border and the feud between Texas and the feds. We've also got an update on the impeachment hearings of our uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary. We'll get to that. Joe Biden's making a promise to go to uh, East Palestine, Ohio, to check out that train derailment. He just now found out about it, so he's going to go check it out. Was oh, that why it took, it took so long? He just didn't know? A little more than a year. He's been and, a busy guy. And he's planning on uh, stopping by there. The mayor says, nah, I don't think so. You probably don't need to. Uh, oh, you, yeah. you, you, We don't need you here, that sort of thing. <laughs> we got it cleaned up already, Joe. Yeah. Uh, there was another world leader that actually showed up within a few days there in East Palestine. Yeah. Remember that? Donald Trump. Donald Trump, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is uh, 8.06. You can join us at 512-836-0590. The NYPD and the suspects um, who beat up the officers on the streets of uh, uh, Times Square overnight has really angered a lot of people across our country this morning. These illegal aliens attacked two police officers, kicking and stomping. They're going to be okay. They've recovered. They'll be all right. But those uh, the suspects are out of jail and just walking the streets. No, no bail at all. And, it, you know, it gets richer. Uh, at least one of these attackers reportedly has two pending uh, cases for assault and robbery. So, you know, guys shouldn't have been out already. Sounds like all of them probably uh, shouldn't have been walking around, especially if they're illegally in this country. Yeah, but yeah, two cops. One was a lieutenant, and uh, and, and yeah, and they're and they're already out. I guarantee you, any American citizen goes and attacks a cop, probably not going to be out with a slap on the wrist an hour later with no bail. Well, some, some, some might, some. some, some, not all, fair, not all, but some, some might, and I think we know, right? But not. It doesn't have to be said, but but not right. most. Yes, not most. Listen, after the uh, Texas legislature claimed that they had passed the uh, largest property tax cut in Texas history, there's a new report that shows taxpayers are paying even more in taxes. Yeah, the latest report from the Huffines Liberty Foundation revealed that new numbers released by the state controller Glenn Hagar, uh, it showed a total property tax revenue increased uh, in 2023 by 165.2 million dollars. Additionally, the report from former state Senator Don Huffines and policy analyst uh, Bill Peacock, it claims that uh, there was never an $18 billion tax cut, but instead only a $12.7 billion was dedicated to uh, the new tax relief plan under Senate Bill 2. Now, here's a quote. Politicians fabricated the $18 billion so they could claim one. It was the largest property tax increase or uh, tax cut in, in, uh, in history. Uh, larger than 2007's tax cut. The tax cut uh, used at least half of last year's record $32 billion budget surplus. Hmm. Now, this report by the Texas scorecard on SB2 increased the homestead exemption to 100000 and used around $7 billion to buy down or compress local school property taxes. And additionally, the compromise plan included what lawmakers called 
a 20% circuit breaker, appraisal cap on non-homestead properties under $5 million in value for uh, a three-year pilot program. Now, with the previous property tax relief included, the package totaled around $18 billion. This report from HLF, it also states that while the legislature reduced property taxes, they did not consider the schools and the cities and the counties and the special districts raised property tax revenue uh, more than the legislature lowered it. So, I, I, I mean, Huffines is saying that Texas taxpayers basically got robbed. Uh, that there was a real opportunity there to eliminate your property taxes, your school property taxes, but the state opted not to take that route. Well, there's some, uh, you know, there's a, there's a language issue here. There's a twisting of the words, and, uh, you know, there's a marketing phrase here that's not working, I guess. Well, at the same time, here's a quote from the story. At the same time, the legislature sends money to each school district and instructs them to lower the property tax rates. School districts and other local governments raise their property taxes to get more revenue, with each new dollar of uh, local revenue offsetting a dollar of the legislature's tax relief. That, according to the report. It explains that despite the legislature's missed opportunity to give Texans real property tax relief, there are still ways to eliminate the school property tax. The Huffines and Peacock, they're recommending limiting the state's spending growth to no more than 5.9% per biennium. Right. In other words, kind of put a cap on uh, lawmaker spending. And freezing the maintenance and operation property taxes. Using 90% of current, yeah, I, a current and future state budget surpluses for property tax. But I mean, all these things are great, but I, I, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't really know if there's an appetite in our legislature to, to make any, you know, they like to say we've done the most, you know, the, the most dramatic uh, property tax legislation in history. But I don't, I don't think what really needs to be done, there's an appetite for with our lawmakers. Here's what uh, the former Senator uh, Don Huffines tells the uh, Texas scorecard. He says, Texas taxpayers were robbed of historic opportunity to eliminate the school property taxes. Politicians must stop the endless quest of trying to solve the symptoms of the problem rather than solve the problem itself. And in this case, the tax is the problem. So end it. Oh, I like that. Well, I love that. Anytime we're talking about ending tax, let's do it. But that's not going to happen here. I mean, we are <laughs> so reliant upon, upon uh, the property taxes to fund our schools. And, and you know, they'll tell you it's, it's not enough. So the social media company X, formerly Twitter, they're establishing an Austin-based trust and safety center. It appears to be building out uh, an Austin-based office, according to uh, the statesman. Yeah, the company mentioned its plans in a post Sunday for a new location and in a wider post uh, detailing X's plans to, quote, tackle child exploitation on its website. Uh, here's a quote. Uh, We're still building the Trust and Safety Center of Excellence in Austin, Texas, to hire more in-house agents so, so we can keep accelerating our impact. Yeah, this post followed a Saturday report from Bloomberg News that the company would set up a new Austin-based content moderation team. And according to the Bloomberg report, uh, Joe Barak, head of the business operations, said the social media company plans to hire 100 full-time content moderators right here in Austin, Texas. Ah, okay. Yeah, this post comes just days before ex-CEO uh, Linda Yacero was set to uh, you know, testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee on uh, well, a hearing about child safety online, along with executives from the other social media giants, including, uh, well, that hearing gets underway in about 45 minutes. Uh, Musk took over the social media company in October of 2022 and has been uh, criticized for slashing X's trust and safety teams after his purchase. So there you go. 
Well, uh, you know, going after uh, child exploitation, I mean, I, I, that's, I think most of us can agree, that's that's perfectly fine, and, and let's do that. Sure. My concern is that, you know, as we, we hire these these content moderators, you know, they, they're, they're also going to be looking at, at things like, you know, hate speech and uh, things that, uh, you know, the, the previous content moderation team at Twitter showed you know you know can be very subjective to some people and uh and all of a sudden you end up with certain certain people uh you know the the shadow bands are getting completely banned and 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 suspended and things like that you know i just i hope this new content moderation team doesn't doesn't go overboard like the previous uh, regime at twitter did i don't think it will i don't think that's uh i don't think that's what the focus is well good good because again you know again the the uh combating child exploitation that that should be the main focus sure i mean it sounds like that that is you know top of Top of the priorities for him. I think that should be a number one. Well, on X's career page, a job listing uh, agent, trust, and safety content moderation position for Austin says the team will provide customer support and investigative issues that could cause harm to users on X, such as spam and fraud. All right. And according to Bloomberg, uh, Burdock, uh, he said the team would fight material uh, related to child sexual, sexual exploitation and help enforce the social media platform and other rules, including restrictions on hate speech and violence. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what if you get to, you know, eventually where, uh, you, you know, they this, this content moderation team wants to go back to the days of uh, combating misinformation, as it were, and, and uh, all of a sudden things, you know, certain posts are not allowed anymore because this is misinformation. I mean, you know, it's, it probably wouldn't happen under Elon Musk, but... You know, I just I worry when you start talking about content moderation. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it just it it we haven't had good experiences with them in the past. All right, jump in here five one two eight three six zero five ninety. You won't hear this, you won't see this written anywhere uh, other than on the city's website. Uh, this this probably won't even make news, but we're going to talk about it because it's part of this uh, ongoing border crisis and how it's affecting this sanctuary city. The city of Austin is coordinating travel support to help asylum seekers, and this is the city's content that I'm reading here, uh, reach their sponsored destination across the United States. Bottom line, the, um, the city of Austin is seeking uh, federal reimbursement dollars for uh, the transportation of about 120 illegal aliens every day from San Antonio. From San Antonio to Austin, take care of whatever they need while they're here before they get on a flight, a non-restricted flight. Uh, to anywhere in America. And, uh, and and Austin, this sanctuary city, hasn't budgeted any money over the years to deal with its sanctuary city status. So now it appears Austin is just sanctimonious and is seeking federal dollars to facilitate this program. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it fo- they say it follows a request for support from the city of San Antonio. Uh, city of San Antonio wanted this. this is the bed they wanted to lie in. This, we shouldn't be shouldering this burden to fly people across the country to God knows where, you know, where, wherever they're going to end up. I mean, they may fly to Denver, but then, you know, who knows where they go from there. We don't keep tabs on people. Uh, this, this, is not, this is not the response. should not be the responsibility of the American taxpayer, the Austin, the Texas taxpayer, anybody. Well, according to the city's website, the assistance is designed to provide humane and effective ways of relieving some of the pressure on San Antonio and help people reach their sponsor's destination in a timely and safe manner. What does the sponsor destination mean? What does that mean, a sponsor? Who is a sponsor of an illegal alien? What does that mean? Does that mean they're staying in somebody's home? Yeah, or, or is that what it means? A, perhaps a perhaps an organization. Yeah. I mean, is that does it mean that staying in some individual's home? 
Yeah, or or maybe a big group home, something like that. But yeah, obviously there's somebody there waiting to meet them. Well, you're we're assuming this. You're you're assuming that. I don't know. Does it mean just flying them to New York City and here you go, you're on your own? Like the city itself, just as as a whole, is yeah. the sponsor? Maybe yeah. so. Who are the sponsors waiting on the other end? But you know, anytime we see, uh, are the, we the, funding that organization as well? We see these buses showing up in like New York. Chicago, you know, there's always, well, I don't know about Chicago, but in New York, I mean, it seems like there's always still some ambassador there waiting to welcome them and show them where to go. They're, I mean, yeah, somebody's coordinating with these flights seems on the like, other end. Seems like the sponsor should be picking up the bill. But about it's, that? it's yeah. probably likely we're supporting that as well. The, the thing that's so frustrating about this story is nobody's talking about how to, uh, to really solve this problem, right? Right? Mm. Nobody's yeah. talking about helping these people in their country. They're not even asked to stay in their country. They're not asking for help in their own country. They just want to be here to get some freebies. Yeah. Nobody's talking about really solving the crisis. Well, and, you know, they're, they're grown adults who made the grown adult decision to, to come and illegally cross into a country. They're very fortunate that this is a country where, you know, nobody's really going to punish them for illegally crossing into it. But, I mean, at what point do you just say, all right, look, you know, you made, you made the decision. Uh, you know, good luck to you. Well, this is an effort for which the city will seek full reimbursement from the federal government, which, which also means you, the taxpayer, which is currently reimbursing San Antonio and other U.S. cities that are expending resources on uh, illegal aliens seeking asylum. And, uh, and, and will support people whose asylum claims have completed the initial processing and who are pre-booked uh, for air travel to connect with flights out of the ABIA as they make their way to their destinations in the United States, according to the city's website. Well, they get to fly through, you know, nice and nice and uh, smoothly. They just sort of get to bypass all the security that, that everybody else has to stand through, all that security. They uh, got a that, passport, license, well, ID? They, they've, I mean, I'm sure that I think, I know they've got some kind of paperwork with them, but I don't know what else they've got. I, I, like some kind of documentation that they've gone through the initial asylum process, maybe? Maybe so, but I mean, you know, I, I, if... We're letting people fly with with significantly fewer, uh, significantly less scrutiny than you know the average American who's got to go stand in those lines and be groped and, and wanded and go stand there in that little machine with your hands up over your head, mm. and and you know that in and of itself is, is quite infuriating. Well, the city of Austin on their website says this partnership is crucial as San Antonio has experienced a significant fluctuations in the number of illegal aliens over the past couple of months. And they need assistance to get them to their destinations in a safe, quick, and humane way. And it's highly important for the region, according to the city's website. Highly important. Mm -hmm. what you, why? Because we need to get them out of here? Yeah. It's, it's highly important that we just move them away from here? Yeah. Because Austin couldn't house 120 a day. No. Absolutely They not. couldn't. So so they're desperately begging the feds to pay to, to send them someplace else. Well, and I, and I, I think that you know, the city of Austin probably hedging its bets here, knowing that you know, well, if we do end up spending this money, the feds will give us some reimbursement. Why don't the sponsors pay? Sponsors should pay. Somebody else should be paying. We're probably financing the NGO sponsor as well, right? Well, let me ask you this, though, just, yeah. to, just to play devil's advocate. Okay. You've got... Well, music for this, this one? Oh, sure. Devil's Why advocate not? music? Let's sure. get some, some devil's advocate music here. Correct. So the city of Austin is, is flying illegal immigrants into wherever their sponsor is in this country. Is that so different than what Greg Abbott's doing? Bussing people up to to various cities from down on the border. I mean, it's you know, it's it's still we're still sending them you know all across the nation. Whether it's Greg Abbott doing it or whether it's the city of Austin helping San Antonio fly people out of here. 
What's the difference, really? It's a good point. I would say one where you've got Greg Abbott trying to make a, a, a statement here, a political statement. The other one, the city of Austin, just, you know, it really genuinely wants to facilitate illegal immigration. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're both doing that. I mean, the same thing is happening with both. Illegal immigrants are just being fanned out all across our, uh, you know, the middle of our nation. With no end in sight. And, the, and, and they'll never come back for their, their hearing. That's 10 years from now. No. Would you? I no. mean, you know, realistically, I wouldn't. If, 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 I may, if I went through all that trouble to cross all that land, get up in here. I'm not coming back for that immigration hearing. No. Maybe go back and come back. Yeah. Do some double dipping, some triple dipping. Hey, especially if they're paying you that money that we hear they're paying. 8.33 here on the Todd and Oz Show. Jump in here at 512-836-0590. Brain chip startup Neuralink implanted a device in its first live human subject this past weekend, Sunday. That according to Elon Musk, it's his company. He posted this on social media. Says the patient is recovering well. Adding, uh, you know, that the initial data from the device is um, is very promising. Uh, placed uh, in a part of the brain that plans movement, the device is designed to interpret a person's neural activity so they can control external devices such as maybe a smartphone, a computer, you know, with their thoughts. That according to Neuralink's website. Yeah, the device is currently in the clinical trials, which are open to some individuals who are quadriplegic due to um, a variety of issues, ALS or a spinal cord injury, that sort of thing. And that according to the recruitment pamphlet, but it appears they've made some progress. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, on the one hand, you know, if, if you've got someone with ALS who, you know, for years has been imprisoned within their own body and now all of a sudden this this neuralink chip can really help them pick something up for the first time in sure years. that'd be great right if we're talking about just trying to enhance ourselves you know say as athletes or or scholars or something like you know people who don't need them for something specific like that mm. you know i i could see this uh moving it and it's also creepy too to just have a computer chip you know, it's like almost like you're, we're becoming cyborgs. You know, uh, and and, and it's like it a can, pacemaker, kind of. But this is in your brain. I mean, I mean, this you know, this controls. Oh, it seems odd and bizarre. It seems like a science fiction movie. Yeah, I get that. It's, it's like parasitic almost. I don't know about that. It's, well, I mean, I mean, you know, I, it, it, obviously, if it's helping someone, that's great. But it's just at this stage, I don't think New Orleans is going to take any chances. You know, with the system, and they're going to be you know ethical. Oh yeah, right. And, and that's your concern. I think they're. I think they're addressing your concerns. Well. I think my concern, too, is, is, say, maybe years down the road when we've gotten a little too comfortable with the technology, and then, you know, all of a sudden everybody's going to want to... What's your know, fear? What's your fear? I don't know, that it could just, you know, I, that, that it could, you know, a lot of people get them implanted, and you know, what if they go haywire, you know, or what if somebody finds a way to, what if somebody could hack your Neuralink, uh, you know, and... and uh, as, as weird as that sounds, we're talking about a legitimate chip that you that 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 Elon Musk has announced has been successfully imp implanted into a human brain mm -hmm. right so that in and of itself I wouldn't have believed two three years ago no well, way you could do that well Musk said Monday that uh, the first Neuralink product was called telepathy and initially used by people who have lost their ability to use their limbs imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster uh, than the speed of uh, you know a typist or an auctioneer yeah. uh, he says uh, that's the goal well, the implant marks a significant step for the Neuralink, which was, you know, has faced all kinds of regulatory hurdles due to safety concerns that you brought that you brought up. That's that's a good point, uh, including BlackRock, Neurotech, and Synchron that have tested brain implants on humans. Musk's business empire includes Tesla, SpaceX, and X. 
to the social media platform uh, and uh, is reinvigorating some interest uh, while in the the brain-computer interface. (laughs) I think this is interesting because I think we all could see certain avenues where this is great breakthrough technology that could really improve lives. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Somebody that's quadriplegic. Maybe somebody that has a cerebral palsy, that sort of thing. Maybe yeah. they could have some sort of severe brain injury could be uh, improved, if you will. But, right? But what if what if, what, if, what if something goes wrong with it? It has to be removed. You know, now you got to yeah, get it, you got to get into the brain again. But what if? Okay, it has lithium batteries or the wires or things like that. I mean, these are all things that you know need to be the, this. All of those things go wrong with pacemakers, and, and and you fix them. Sure, sure. But again, you know, yeah, the heart. Can take you out like that when it, when it stops, but right. it's, if it's in your brain, I mean, you could you could become like some cyborg zombie. You can't uh, think of any scenario where you would want to take advantage of this. If I had ALS, absolutely, okay. or, or, or or you know some kind of paralysis. You're, you're not you're not saying let's take this away from no, people that no, may no, want no. to experiment with it. Not, not at you're all. You're not saying that. Not at all. I'm just saying before we unleash this technology on the on the general public for everybody, mm-hmm. let's you know let's make sure that we've we've. We've dotted all of our I's and crossed all of our T's. Well, uh, on the website, Neuralink advertises its ambition of creating a technology to restore autonomy to those with unmet medical needs today and unblock the human potential of tomorrow. Uh, But the company has faced a lot of obstacles, a lot of critics. Uh, In November, four U.S. lawmakers asked the Security and Exchange Commission to investigate if Musk uh, misled investors about the safety of his brain implants after uh, a veterinarian records indicated experiments on monkeys resulted in some uh, debilitating health effects, sure. according to Reuters. I mean, I, I, you know, as unfortunate as it is with something like this, especially, you're going to get that. In order to get the progress that you need, if we really want to get there, unfortunately, you know, some of the tests will not be successful and it, and it might be bad. But it, it sounds to me like Elon Musk is very, very confident in this. We've got this first implant now, and so far, so good. A lot of people on the social media this morning are freaking out about the monkey side of that story. Yeah. Monkeys died. Well, you know, and they said it was kind of painful for the monkeys uh, for a few years. But again, like I said, that's sort of unfortunate. That's the unfortunate side of making progress. Yeah. You think some of the luxuries you have now, medicine didn't come with a lot of pain for animals over the... I mean, you know, that's... I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, that's life. That's how it works. Just imagine Stephen Hawking, uh, you know, much fun he could have had on Epstein's Island with use of limbs. Right. The picture certainly right. would have been different of right. him with those girls. <laughs> Sorry. You know, Musk says that uh, the, the Neuralink's true intentions are to achieve a symbiosis with artificial intelligence. A synthesis, as it were. Okay. The next, the next phase of evolution as we fuse with robots and AI. Like something out of Mass Effect. Yeah. I, I I I don't know. It's it's creepy. It's too futuristic for me at this point. I just can't wrap my brain around it. Can't get around it. Not yet. Not yet. You're concerned that Howell is not going to open the pod bay door. That's your concern. He's not going to open the pod bay door. Or maybe he'll open it, and you know, toss you out of it. It's possible. You know. Uh, Sparky, good morning. What's on your mind, Sparky? I was just wondering if we could use some of those brain implants. On maybe on some Democrats to That's help them point. see the That's light, point. the see, truth. Yeah, I got what you're saying. Um, well, we got some Republicans that could use some help too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we got a lot of political, got a lot of political heroes that could use a little bit of help on that front. I know a we, sports director or two as well. 
<laughs> I was going to say we could start at City Hall here in Austin, but well, if you want to go more local than that, sports director, all right. All right, I can get behind that. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, uh, there's a debate underway at Austin City Hall of what to do with dogs that kill people. Uh, let that percolate for a second. I don't know why this is let's, a debate. Let's, let's let that percolate for a second. Uh, at, at Austin City Hall, the question is, what do we do with the dog at the shelter that's actually killed a human being? That's a question they're trying to answer. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with dangerous, aggressive dogs in this city. All right, let, let's go back to any of the number of dog attack stories we've heard over the past couple of three years. Yeah. It's always followed up, typically, that if not that day, the next day with, you know, the dog has since been euthanized. Yes. So why are, I mean, we're not doing that here? If a dog has taken a life at Austin, we just say, well, look, we'll find it. We'll find you a home, Fluffy. Don't worry about it. Not 100% of the time, we're not. And, and, and the city council learned that yesterday in a work session. Uh, well, uh, the shelter wants a policy change that would rank the dog's aggression on a sliding scale. It's uh, in the business. It's called the Dunbar Scale, one to six. Six being the most dangerous, right? This dog has killed someone, maimed someone. Right. One being a dog that is potential to be aggressive, maybe a little nippy, maybe aggressive, and maybe uh, you know someone you're scared of just looking at. Showing signs, but hasn't really attacked somebody else. Okay. May have attacked another dog. That's possible. So a scale of one to six. Uh, Cheeto Vela, and I rarely agree with him, but he's right about this. We should not allow dangerous dogs to be released back into our community. It's extremely irresponsible for public safety if that's what we have been doing. Now, uh, consultant Devin say he spoke with the, uh, the the city council's work session, and uh, he says if a dog is too aggressive to be released into the community, the fours, fives, and sixes, then uh, it's just taking up shelter space, leading to overcrowding. The more animals you take in and the less you euthanize, theoretically you're going to start running out of space. So now maybe you're doubling or tripling up animals in a kennel when there should only be one in there. All right, so uh, the city council is trying to, you know, figure out what to do with the dogs that they shouldn't release to the community. I mean, the obvious answer is euthanize them. Yeah. Well, Humane I, injection and euthanize them. Yeah, I mean, there comes a time, especially if a dog has killed somebody. Raise your hand if you want to adopt a dog that's killed a child. Who does? Nobody does. And the city should not be adopting those pets out. No. And, I, you know, I, I, I rarely, this may be the only time I can ever think of where I've advocated for th that sort of, you know, end goal. But th you've got dogs that have shown that they, they cannot exist in family homes. They, they can't exist out in public. You can't take a dog that's killed another dog out to the dog park. Uh, you, you know, I, it just, these, these are things that. It's too dangerous for that dog and everybody around it. Yeah. 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 Well, the city has adopted out about 500 dogs that would fall somewhere on that scale, one to six. They're trying to fix that. The dogs that we're talking about on the highest end at six, we're only talking about maybe a couple of dozen a year. So it's it, the city won't notice it. Yeah. But the city will be safer as a result. And really what the city is trying to do on this front, I don't know, the advocates are for sure, is they want another animal shelter. That would cost you about $40 million, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, they, the only reason I say forty million is because I think the Lavander Loop shelter was nineteen million, and oh, that was a decade ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, you know, that's right. They said, "Listen, if we don't, I mean, that that is an option. We could always put it on another side of town." You know what I'm saying? I do indeed. I squeeze in. Let's see. Uh, Caleb is in uh, Central Austin this morning. Caleb, good morning. Hello. You're hanging oh, on. Oh, did I push the wrong button? There you go. Uh, Caleb, you there? 
Hey, man. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, all right. So I just have a quick, I have a quick statement slash question. Okay. You know, so if uh, if the city's going to go ahead and attempt to readopt these dogs that have killed somebody, the I'm sure that there's some sort of contractual uh, verbiage in the fine print uh, that releases the liability and the accountability of the city. But I I think that that may be something that needs to be voted on, mm. right? That may be part something that well, needs to be part of the the chat. I got you. the accountability if these things get released back into public. No, I agree. So let, let me let me let me explain and talk a little bit more. I, you know, I can't think of a dog that is cool, man. that has been released into the community that after it already killed someone. That's no. that would be an extreme scenario. Cheeto Vela says we don't want to allow any aggressive dog. Uh, that it uh, you know has the potential or has maimed someone or another animal. We don't want those dogs to be adopted out. Right. Uh, you know, and I know we all got the extreme case in our head, right? Uh, the the dog killed a human being, and Austin's adopting it out to a family. Well, that's that's not happening specifically. That's what they're trying to prevent. Uh, but the activists, uh, the animal lovers out there themselves, they love dogs so much, and and I get it. I love dogs too. I've got one. I've always had a dog at home, even when I was uh, a child. Right. Mm. But uh, an aggressive dog cannot be adopted out. It's just too dangerous. Why would anybody want to bring a dog that has a history of being aggressive into your home? Why would you want to invite the potential tragedy into your living room? Can, yeah. you, can you imagine? The dog is deemed aggressive. It's a three or a four. You take that dog home and it attacks your child or a neighbor's child. You re- Are you prepared to have that in your head the rest of your life? Because it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. I I think that the, you know there there are certain exceptions. You know, uh, say someone who's uh you know no kids in the house. You know, with 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 experience with you know certain dog temperaments, things like that. Someone who might want to take on say, well, yeah, you know, we we will we will take the dog. But the average family, and this is we're talking about a sliding scale one through six. One means the dog has shown aggression, just hadn't bitten yet. It's not just your regular average black lab that just right. sits there happy, right? right. This is an aggression scale. We don't have an overwhelming number of black labs at the shelter, though. No, we really Those don't. dogs are adoptable. Yeah. It's the big pit bulls and Rottweilers that are not adoptable. Yeah. That's why the shelter's full. Tommy in North Austin, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you today? Great. What's on your mind? Lisa, I was just wondering, okay, if they institute this policy, I'm wondering, are they going to have a, a canine behavioralist? making the, these determinations on the on where to place you know said dogs um on that dunbar list and then uh, make a decision one way or the other or are they going to just have the somebody assigned that's already on staff well we don't know that step right i mean there's a lot of volunteers that work down there they do have animal behaviorists but i'm just curious i sense in your voice that you don't like this transition you don't like this dunbar scale well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm sitting on the fence about it because um, I, I first, from personal experience, I had a, a retriever, German Shepherd, mix many years ago. My niece, or she was sound asleep um, on the living room floor, and my niece kept headbutting the dog. And at one point, I mean, my niece was told to, to stop and physically remove. But we turned our back and she did it again. And the dog woke up startled and snapped at her. Well, of course, wound up having to take her to the emergency room for stitches. And, of course, protocol is to call the police. And they came out to the house and 
we explained to the police officer exactly what had happened and um the police officer you know ruled in favor of our dog and that and literally admonished my six-year-old niece for having treated the dog the way she did so you know i didn't suffer any repercussions and that um i'm not familiar with the dunbar scale as far as does does one mean that it has actually bitten a dog or a person or no. is just no, it, or? what is the lowest end it has the potential to it hasn't yet it starts to escalate about number two it has attacked another dog three much more aggressive on up to attacking a human being at, at level six it's kind of a judgment okay. call based on their experience of working with the animal and the history right. the animal has being around other people right. there's docu there's documentation to back this up I mean it's you know there's there's documentation along the journey here okay so then my question is do they already have you, you at the beginning of all of this our conversation um, somebody mentioned about um, that they have volunteers on staff that um, that um, uh, assess these dogs are they tr are they certified trained behavioralists or are they just probably not volunteers? they're volunteers probably not they just love dogs like you do I mean, they would have to have some kind of doctors on staff. Yeah, they got they got volunteer doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't have a team of a dozen behaviorists or, yeah. or dog whispers. No, they don't have they don't have what you want. No. Well, they. I mean, if if they want to institute this, they need to have at least one person dedicated full time, or at least part time, depending on the need, um, to to do this because a lot of dogs will. I mean, dogs in general, especially family pets in general, will give off nonverbal, non-communicative, I mean, nonverbal communicative um, signs that it is annoyed and that, um, especially when there's children around, and it, it behooves the parents of these children to... Not adopt that dog. To how to treat the dog if the to, dog to not is, adopt it. Parent, parents should not adopt dogs that may be aggressive towards their kids. Yeah, you shouldn't. Don't bring that dog home. That's dangerous. It's unpredictable. Well, the thing of it is, every dog can be dangerous during um, you know. That's right. In certain, you know, right. in any you know given um, and, scenario, any dog can be dangerous in any scenario. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And then add the unpredictability of getting a dog at the animal shelter. Exactly, because you don't know what kind of um, assessment or how thorough or how accurate that assessment is on an unknown dog. And I guarantee you, when they get a dog, they have no idea of its history. Exactly. And about 99% of the time, they don't. They have yeah. strays they're picked up. That's, that's why it makes it incredibly dangerous and unpredictable to pick up a dog at the animal shelter. Any animal shelter. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against euthanasia if it's if it's if it's warranted, if it's yeah. needed, and that I just my concern is that some of these dogs, even on a one or a two, on the Dunbar level, um, were probably um, either frightened or had already given off um, body language signals that weren't picked up on because mm. people are not educated. People let their children hug and and lie and and lounge on their dogs, and their dogs have you know dogs have um, behavioral aspects that um, let the human know that 
hey, I'm not comfortable with this, but because people are not educated on, yeah. you know, canine body language and that that's where a lot of problems happen. I would never let my dog, I mean, my daughter lounge or wrap her arms around any of our dogs growing sure. up and that with her growing up because I, I'm, I'm just curious the dog you said that bitch your your daughter or your niece what what happened my niece. Your, what happened to that dog she 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 lived with me until she was 18 years old mm. yeah. because the the policeman when he came out to the house and i explained everything and i had my mother and her husband there at the time when it happened and that we all, you know, they took us separately to get our statement. And um, they cited on, on the side of the, they ruled on the side of the dog that they did not remove the dog. Sounds like you did too. You know, the, the child. Sounds, it sounds like you and your, it sounds like you and your loved ones did too. Beg your pardon? It sounds like you sided with the dog as well. You you and your, I guess, a relative, uh, the niece's parents, so they, they, they kept we, the dog. We all did. The dog was sound asleep and my niece kept headbutting the dog and at one point i mean we kept removing the knees and telling her no and reprimanding her and putting her in time out yeah. and she'd turn around and go and sneak and do it again and What's... at one point the dog woke up startled yeah and yeah the dog should have been removed no that's just my opinion the dog it's just my opinion my that dog would have been removed Quickly. No, the, but it wasn't the dog's fault. The dog. Well, I'm not going to take that chance. Title. I'm not going to take that chance anymore. I'm not going to let it happen a second time, right? One yeah. shame on the dog, twice shame on you. The Todd and Oz Show, weekday mornings, five to ten on News Radio KLBJ. Doctor Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals bringing patients relief at last. Biostimulation is an implantable device consisting of two tiny wires connected to a battery that are placed alongside the spine. These wires emit a tiny electronic signal that blocks the pain signal that travels on nerves. Advanced Pain Care, 512-244-4272 or online, austinpaindoctor.com.